Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of God, and all God's people said... Amen. The lines began to form in the wee hours of the morning. Craziest thing because the business wasn't open yet. The lines began to form. People started packing into the parking lot. First 10, then 20, then over 100 people would pack into the parking lot. And some even, get this, pitching a tent in the wee hours of the morning. What, 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 what's happening here? What, what in the world is going on? Get this, true story, a Chick-fil-A is opening. It's the grand opening of a Chick-fil-A. And you and I know, you may not know what happens when a Chick-fil-A opens. People pack into the parking lot. They line up. People pitch their tents. I've got a good friend who, I think he has the record. I mean, he's been to like 10 grand openings of Chick-fil-A's. Like he manages them uh, with his own calendar. He's always on the website. They pack in, they line up, and the reason why is because if you get there and you're one of the first 150 people, you get a year's worth of Chick-fil-A sandwiches. And so people will go through the grind to, to get in line, to be one of the first 150. They're tussling with one another and, and pushing in line just so they can be one of the first 150 to get there. Why? Because at the very end, it's going to be worth the wait. And maybe sometimes you may walk into that Chick-fil-A with your year's worth of reward and you walk in there and you say, you know what, today I don't want a Chick-fil-A sandwich. I want to get some of those crispy nuggets. And you ask them if you can bargain a little bit and trade for that sandwich. And it's it's the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. They actually have real tomatoes and real lettuce on the sandwich. It's Chick-fil-A. And so the reason why all those over a hundred people would pack into that parking lot is because there's a benefit at the end. There's no sandwich like the Chick-fil-A sandwich. It's worth the wait. And when we look at at Psalm 130 this morning, we're going to see something even bigger than the Chick-fil-A sandwich. We're going to see something that is worth the wait. And the psalmist points to this over and over again. He's going to tell us about a hope in God that is worth the wait. 
We're going to see three main ideas this morning. We'll see that God is worth the wait because His forgiveness is ever-present. We'll see that God is worth the wait because His love is unfailing. And lastly, we'll see that God is worth the wait because His redemption is inevitable. But before we go to work, would you, would you pray with me? Father, thank You. Thank You, Father. For the privilege to gather with your people. Thank you, Father, for the honor to step into your presence this morning. So, God, would you speak to us? Would you open our eyes? Would you open our ears? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you remind us? Would you teach us? Would you convict us? Would you draw us closer into who you are? Father, we we need to experience you this morning. So, Father, I pray that your spirit would fall afresh on us, that you would give us a word, that you would speak to us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, even this morning. Move me aside, God. We need to hear from you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So one of the things we said last week is the importance of We talked about the importance of consistently engaging the Psalms. The Psalms teach us about worship. The Psalms teach us about prayer. The Psalms teach us about repentance. And I love the Psalms because you see people on the mountaintop, but you also see them in the valley. And I love the Psalms because it gives us this real perspective of how people struggle, and it points us to a very real hope. If you've ever struggled in your life, the Psalms are for you. If you ever needed wisdom in your life, the Psalms are for you. If you ever needed to know how to to have resolve, to trust and have faith in God, the Psalms are for you. We ought to have a regular dose of the Psalms that it may refresh our souls. It's Psalms 1 that shows us our need for wisdom. It's Psalm 23 that gives us comfort and hope in dark circumstances. It's Psalm 51 that lets us know that there is no place too dark for God to reach us. It's Psalm 119 that reminds us of how sweet the Word of God is, how true and real the Word of God is. It's Psalm 150 that that declares, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. We need a a rich, consistent dose of the Psalms. The Psalms encourage us. They convict us. They direct us. And it would do us well to go to them over and over again to drink from their proverbial fountains. Psalm 130 is no different. I love this psalm because it reeks of authenticity. Listen to the first couple of verses again. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, you hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Do you hear how real this is? Do you hear how raw the psalmist is speaking here? Do you hear the emotion and the honesty here? I love this because the the, the Presbyterian needs to hear this. Here is the psalmist there. When it comes to this psalmist in Psalm 130, there's no such thing as the frozen chosen. Here he is in a dark place and he cries out to God. God, hear my prayer. Hear my pleas, oh God. Let your your ear be attentive to, to my cries to you. He's crying out. It's real. 
It's raw. It's emotional. And here he is pointing us to the reality that he is in deep need of mercy. We don't know all the circumstances, but what we do know is that the psalmist needs mercy. See, in this moment, the psalmist acknowledging that his sin has led him to a dark place. He's pointing to the reality that he needs something greater than him. He, he needs one who is greater than him to work on his behalf and to extend to him that which he cannot give himself mercy. The psalmist is dealing with some tough stuff here. It's the same point of view that David gives us in Psalm 51 after David slept with Bathsheba and he killed her husband Uriah the Kittite in cold blood. He says, My sin is ever before me. My sin is ever before me. And this is what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 130. He is crying out to the Lord. He's belting out, shouting out to the Lord that the Lord would be attentive to his prayer because his sin is ever before him. His sin is so present that the psalmist points to his understanding that if God is keeping tally of his crookedness, If God is keeping tally of all of his wrong, if God is keeping tally of his brokenness, there is no way out of this for him. He says, God, if you are keeping tally of all of my wrong, all of my brokenness, uh, there is no way I can stand before you. That's a heavy truth. The reality that when our sin is ever before us, there is no way that we can stand before a holy and a righteous God. This is the reality that the psalmist is pointing to. This is real stuff. He's pointing to the reality of the heaviness, the the weight of his sin upon his shoulders, and he cries out for mercy. He knows he can't win. I love what the psalmist shows us because it tells me that even in the darkest hour, that even in our darkest hour, that God can still reach us. The reality that this psalmist would cry out to God, though his sin is ever before him, though his sin is weighing down upon him, the reality that he would cry out to God and trust that God would hear him tells me this morning that there is no weight too heavy, that there is no place too dark that God couldn't reach us and pull us out of. There's no place too dark for him. And he will, he will go into that place and this is the confidence that the psalmist is operating in that God would reach down even in the pit of his darkness and pull him out. Even if he doesn't want to be pulled out. He is crying out to God because he knows that God will hear him and that God is able to pull him out. But this also challenges the church of Jesus Christ. Because if the church is to live like the psalmist did, we would welcome those who struggle with pride with open arms. We would welcome those who struggle with greed with open arms. We would welcome those who struggle with same-sex attraction and uh, gender confusion. We would welcome them with open arms. 
Because what this, what this truth tells us is that there is no pit too dark for Him to reach and pull us out of. So there is no sin too dark. This is what this tells us. This is a heavy truth for the church of Memphis, Tennessee. It tells us that our arms should be wide open, welcoming those who are broken. Welcoming those who are ready to acknowledge their sin and maybe those who aren't even ready. We shouldn't be the ones pushing away those who may be on the outskirts or we shouldn't be joining our political party to point our fingers at somebody else. We should be welcoming them. And this is a heavy truth that the psalmist is modeling for you and I this morning. He's letting us know that there is no mess too messy. That God can reach you there. And I want to tell you this morning that I'm so glad. I'm so glad that there is no mess too messy. Because He can reach a a broken man like me. He saw fit to reach down and to grab hold of Chris Davis, even in his darkest hour when he was entrenched with guilt, lust, and shame. He reached down and he pulled me out. There was no mess too messy for him. And what his message to us is this morning is that you and I, we ought to have our arms open. In the same way that the psalmist cried out, we ought to be a place of safety for those who are preparing to cry out. As you and I see our sin that is ever before us, we ought to feel the freedom to cry out to God. And to understand that He will hear us. He will be present with us. Oh, that the church would would make this truth real in our hearts. That we would embrace this. That we would understand the reality that God has pushed us forward. That we may open our arms in the same way that the psalmist cries out. The psalmist goes on and he talks about this eagerness for the Lord. He talks about how he is anxiously waiting. How he is lingering. How he's trusting in the Lord. He declares in verse 5 and 6, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. And in His Word, I hope. See, one of the reasons the psalmist continues to hope, one of the reasons the psalmist continues to trust, one of the reasons he continues to wait, is because his hope is in the Word of God. He, he, he doesn't have an empty hope, but he's hoping in the Word of God, something that he sees to be firm and uh, strong. He is hoping in the truth of God. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, he is hoping in and trusting in and resting in. Notice he's not trusting in his own word. Notice he's not trusting in his own opinion. He is resting and hoping upon the word of God that, that, that he may receive mercy. The psalmist goes on. We've got to see that God is worth the wait because his forgiveness is ever present. We've got to see that God is worth the wait because his forgiveness is ever present. Look at verse 4 with me. With you, get this, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The psalmist understands that 
the only way he can experience freedom is through God's, through God's forgiveness. The only one that can pardon him, the only one that can free him is God and God alone. And the reason he pleads with God for mercy is because he understands that his offense against God needs forgiveness. He understands that he needs forgiveness. I was in a meeting not long ago, um, and uh, I was with uh, some elected officials in this meeting, and um, there were some staff members there, and we just so happened, they knew I was a pastor, and we just so happened to uh, talk about theology. We talked about theology for um, 45 minutes of that meeting, and we were just talking about the gospel, and, and I just said, man, we, we've got to realize that all of us are broken, that all of us are needy. And one of the staff members jumped in. Well, I, I would disagree with that. I, I don't think we're all broken, she said. And it just kind of blew me away because if we can agree about anything, we can agree about the fact that we all messed up. Like something is wrong. If you just tune in to any load, uh, local media, if you choose it to tune in to any national media outlet, you will see that something is wrong with us. And this is what the psalmist is pointing to, the reality that there is darkness in us. We are broken and in need of forgiveness, in need of mercy. Jesus taught the disciples to pray this way in Matthew 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. But I love the first part of that. Forgive us our debts. There is a debt that needs to be paid. You and I are in deep need of forgiveness. See, Jesus, along with the psalmist, points to the reality that we need to be forgiven. And that is the reason we ought to hope and wait and linger upon the Lord. Because we recognize we need forgiveness. Uh, it's the story and is in this great book, uh, Just Mercy, uh, by Brian Stevenson. It's a fantastic book. If you hadn't read it, you need to pick it up. Uh, it's the story of Ian Manuel. Ian Manuel at 13 years old in 1990 in California. He, he went out with a couple of older boys and they decided to rob this couple. They, they decide to rob this couple, but the wife decides to fight back. And as she's yanking away, Ian Manuel takes a gun and he fires this gun. And it hits this woman in the face. Uh, and this is gruesome, but it goes through her jaw and takes out a bunch of her teeth. Uh, it was a bad situation. Ian Manuel, at 13 years old, true story, he walks into court. And when it's all said and done, he walks away with life in prison without the possibility of parole. He goes to prison and they can't even find uniforms big enough to fit him. He's so small. They take the smallest uniform, they cut it six inches everywhere and they put it on, they drape it upon him. He's so small that they fear that he would be preyed upon by putting him in general population. So you know what they do? They put him in protective custody. For 18 years, he's in lockdown, in protective custody. 23 hours a day, he gets out three times a week for a shower. He gets out three times a week for 45 minutes to exercise in a cage. 
True story. You know what he does? When he gets to prison, he gets one call a month. And he calls this woman, this victim. And in a tearful, emotional mess, Ian Manuel apologizes. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to do what happened to you. Here he is in prison in lockdown for 23 hours a day, apologizing to the person that he afflicted. He had no family, and that's why he was on the streets in the first place. Nobody caring for him, nobody looking out for him. And this woman, her heart was tugged. And three years after regular correspondence, guess who's writing the prison on his behalf? The woman that he previously shot. Three years after regular correspondence, guess who's writing the judge? Guess who's writing the court system? The very woman that he shot, she extends forgiveness to him. And I want to tell you this morning, that's exactly what the psalmist is pointing to. He is pointing to the reality that each of us have a heavy debt to pay and we need forgiveness. Have you realized that this morning? Have you embraced the fact that your sin is a heavy debt before a holy and a righteous God and that you and I are in need of forgiveness? Have you received that? That that, that you and I need forgiveness that we cannot offer ourselves. The reason Emmanuel called this woman is because he could not forgive himself. He needed to go to the one whom he had offended to get forgiveness. And I want to tell you this morning, we've offended a holy and a righteous God with our sin. And he longs for us to come back to him for forgiveness. Secondly, we've got to see that God is worth the wait because his love is unfailing. The psalmist declares in verse 7, look at this with me. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is, get this, steadfast love. He says, O people of God, trust and have faith in the Lord, because with the Lord, if you are on His team, there's steadfast love. And we've talked about this word, chesed, which is, which it means steadfast love. We've talked about this word, chesed, H-E-S-E-D. It is the unfailing, the loyal, the, the faithful love of God. He says, the reason I hope upon the Lord is because His love is faithful, it is unfailing, and it is a loyal kind of love. And I want to tell you this morning, let me let you in on something. Nobody else can give you that love. No amount of money, no amount of sex, no amount of power, no amount of esteem, no amount of education will ever be able to extend that kind of love to you. The psalmist says, this love is the reason why I hope, I wait, and I trust in Him. The psalmist understands that his sin is ever before him, yet there is a God who loves him deeply, who longs for him to move in relationship with him. He understands that this kind of love is unending. It is God's 
unfailing love that compels the psalmist. Though he is entrenched in sin, it compels him to cry out to God. It's a crazy story, but in January of 2008, three days after getting out of prison, uh, Jesse Dotson did some crazy stuff. It was the Leicester Street Massacre, and you have probably seen it. Uh, but he got into this argument three days after getting out of prison for murder. He got into this argument with one of his uh, brothers. And he did a serious amount of time for previous cases. He gets out. He gets into an argument with his brother. And he just goes on a rampage in his brother's house in Binghamton neighborhood. He he shot four Adults shot and killed four adults. His nieces and nephews, let's not even mention what he did to them, but two of them passed away. The only reason they found out that it was him is because one of the surviving nephews said, Uncle Jesse did it. Uncle Jesse did it. And here he is with the family hugging up on everybody as they're grieving and in all reality, the authorities were actually looking for him. And I remember watching the interrogation video. I watched this video. He's down at 201 being interrogated by the, the detectives, and who is now actually our director, Tony Armstrong, was the one interrogating him. And he's sitting in this room. He breaks down, and he says, I did it. Get this. Then they send his mom in the interrogation room. She sits down in front of him. She hugs her son. She knows he did it. She knows he's guilty. She says to him face to face, what happened? And he goes on to tell his mother how he murdered one of her sons and a couple of her grandchildren. She stood up with her son, a murderer. She wrapped her arms around him. She wept and she said these words, I will never forget it. I love you. And I want to tell you this morning that there is nothing like a mother's love. When a mother can love through that kind of turmoil and that kind of brokenness, she wrapped her arms around him and she said to him, I love you. That's the kind of unfailing love, even deeper than that, that the psalmist is pointing to. The reality that you and I, in in the eyes of God, we are murderers because of our sin. And he wraps his arm around us and he says to us, face to face, I love you. And that kind of love is unfailing. That's a loyal kind of love. That is a faithful kind of love. That's the love the psalmist is talking about. The kind of love in which though we have been in the streets rolling around in our own filth, though pride and greed has gotten the best of us, a loving God would wrap his arms around us and say to us, I love you. That's the kind of unfailing love. Have you, have you received that love? Have you said yes to that kind of love? That love, I want to tell you, is available for you this morning. To say yes to that kind of loyal, unfailing, steadfast love 
It's available for us. Say yes to it. Lastly, we've got to see that God is worth the wait because His redemption is inevitable. I love this. Look at verse 7 with me in verse 8. It begins this way. And with the Lord is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. The idea of redemption is to release. It is to buy back. The idea God is making is that there is a distinction between those that belong to Him and those that don't. Are you hearing me this morning? The idea of redemption, the idea of redeeming those back, some back. He, he is pointing to the reality that, that there is some that belong to Him and there are some that don't. The psalmist points to redemption. He points to this idea of being bought back. He points to this idea of a pardon. Right? It's, it's, it's the story of a pawn shop. It's the story of a pawn shop. In a pawn shop, you take your most valuable items and you go and they give you money for your most valuable items. And you want those most valuable items back. And so what you do is you're willing to pay interest. And you will go and you'll take that money back and you will get this. Buy back your items. You'll free them. And this is what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, I hope, I wait, I trust in the Lord because He is the only one who can free me. It's the gospel. It's the reality that Jesus has died the death for you and I. He has paid the penalty for you and I. And He is through that death buying us back from the grasp of the enemy. And you and I can be free in walking in that. We, we can be free in walking in that understanding that God wants to buy us back. He wants to redeem us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to his son in the ministry in Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Who, get this, gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. You see this? It says Paul says to Titus, He is buying back those who have faith in Him. He is, he is buying back. He is redeeming those of us. Even though we were unpure and lawless, He is buying back those. And we can put our hope and our faith and our trust in the reality that God sent His only Son, Jesus, to shed His blood on the cross of Calvary, to pay the penalty of sin that you and I deserve to pay. And He said yes to death. He was obedient to His Father in that death. And He welcomes us to Him through that death. He welcomes us. He said, I have redeemed you. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you can be redeemed. Have you put your hope and your trust 
in that redemption. Do you know Jesus to be your redemption? Has he redeemed you? Have you trusted in him? This morning, every head bowed and every eye closed. Before we close, would you just do business with God this morning? In the quietness of your own heart, would you just take a moment to talk with him? That you may come face to face with the reality that God is desiring to redeem you, to pardon you, to buy you back. We've got every reason to hope in Him. We've got every reason to wait upon Him. So, Father, we thank You. We thank You, God, that Your grace is enough. Father, we thank You that You are worthy to be hoped in and to be trusted. And so, Father, I pray that You would give us the strength by Your Spirit to trust in You and to hold on and to wait upon You, to long for You, even though our sin is ever present before us. Help us, Father, to know that your love is unfailing and that your forgiveness is ever-present. And I pray, God, that we would receive that forgiveness. That we, would forg- that we would receive that unfailing, loyal love. And that we would hope in your coming redemption. Thank you for paying the price. Thank you for sacrificing yourself for the weight of our sin. Now, God, we pray that you would bless these offerings, these tithes and these offerings that you're about to receive. Father, we pray that through them, Father, your fame and your renown would grow in Memphis, Tennessee and beyond. Father, help us to use them to reach the nations for you. I pray, Father, through them we would be a part of your work and your business, your mission in Memphis, Tennessee and beyond. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.